Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for checking out my YouTube channel today, The Study of Antiquity and the Middle Ages. I am your host, as always, Nick Barksdale, and today we are joined by a very special guest, Dr. Andrew Latham. Latham, thank you so much for coming on today. My pleasure. Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Yes, uh, I am a professor of international relations at McAllister College. Uh, which is in St. Paul, Minnesota. I've been here for about 23 years. And over those 23 years, my research interests have evolved. But in the last 10 or 12 years, I've really been focused on the medieval uh, international system. And I've written a book to that effect uh, on that topic. And actually written a novel as well called The Holy Lance, which deals with, with uh, King Richard the Lionheart, kind of making use of some of the stuff that I learned while I was doing the more boring academic research. <laughs> and I teach courses on medieval political thought and international conflict. Uh, I'm kind of all over the place these days. But I'm really, really enthusiastic about getting the word out about the Crusades. I think people misunderstand them to some extent and in various ways. Uh, especially in this era when one can be accused rather of Islamophobia at the drop of a hat. It's not really about that. And, and making sure that the truth kind of gets out. So Nick's enterprise here is really congenial to that project. And to my subscribers, definitely check out the links in the video description below. Buy a copy, give him your support. Honestly, I can't wait to get started. We've got a series lined up for you on the Crusades. I can't wait to explore this through the guidance of Dr. Latham. Dr. Latham, I'm going to let you take it from here. So the, uh, I've entitled this lecture and the series of lectures really, The Crusades, A Very Brief History, 1095 to 1500. Between the mid-11th and late 15th century, an historically specific configuration of both material and cultural factors came together to make possible a set or constellation of religious wars that have come to be known as the Crusades. And this constellation included church-organized wars to the Holy Land, what we now call Israel, Syria, Palestine, Egypt, um, Iberia, present-day Spain and Portugal, and along the Baltic frontier, which would include new states, newish states now, uh, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, older states, Poland, and even parts of Germany and Russia. And there were also a series of crusades, short-lived to be sure, but important within Latin Christendom itself. And these were uh, holy wars against um, unorthodox Christians. They used to be called heretics, but, and I like the word myself, but not everybody approves. Let me start today then with a discussion of the crusades to the Holy Land. And then, as Nick pointed out, uh, future lectures will deal with these other manifestations of crusading. Now, these crusades to the Holy Land, despite some of the mythology that's uh, um, sort of agglomerated around them, were wars of liberation. And I use that phraseology advisedly. Wars of liberation initially launched by the church to restore Jerusalem to Christian rule. Now, just to remind you, readers, the backstory here is that the sometimes hot war, often cold war between the Byzantine Empire and the Persian Empire um, had, had stalemated in the century or so before uh, this first crusade in 1095, it was called, the year 1095. And, um, and a plague broke out, which we call Justinian's Plague. And it fatally weakened the Byzantine military and fatally weakened the Persian military 
to the point where the Islamic armies, which had been forming under Muhammad and his successors, burst out of the Arabian Peninsula, captured about a third to a half of the Persian Empire, and took about three-fifths of Latin Christendom, including the Holy Land, right? including the Christian holy sites, right? the ground upon which Jesus of Nazareth trod. And for a long time, the the Christian Latin Christendom and the Byzantines were in no position to do anything about it. They had been wrong-footed by uh, the uh, Muslim armies. Um, there are a variety of other changes that had taken place in both societies. They were in no position to launch a counterattack. And in fact, it was many centuries later, from the seventh century to the eleventh, in fact, before uh, the Latin Christians were able to muster the forces to try to retake the Holy Land. Now, I'm going to get into that in a little more depth in a moment, but uh, following the First Crusade then, which was uh, A.D. 1095, and the establishment of the Crusader Principality. So the Christians won, and they set up these four, four states, the County of Edessa, the Principality of Antioch, the County of Tripoli, and the Kingdom of Jerusalem itself. And taken together, these were referred to by the Latin Christians, Western Europeans as we might now call them, as Outremer, uh, which just means kind of overseas en français. And these expeditions were conducted after the initial uh, liberation or conquest, depending on your perspective. Uh, these expeditions were conducted primarily to defend the Christian holy places against Muslim attempts at reconquest, or following the loss of Jerusalem in 1187 to Saladin, and again in 1244, um, the Crusades were about attempting to recover Jerusalem for Aladdin Christendom. If you look at maps of the time, by the way, all of them pretty much have Jerusalem at the center of the map, at the center of the world, and really in some ways at the center of the universe. The universe. I cannot overstate the importance in the, the spiritual and geopolitical imagination of Christians of Jerusalem. It was important to Muslims as well as the point of departure for Muhammad at the end of his time on earth, but it had nowhere near the spiritual or religious significance uh, on that side of the civilizational divide, as it did on the Christian side. Now, while authorized by and fought on behalf of the church, these wars were prosecuted primarily by princes, nobles, and knights, really from every corner of Latin Christendom. There were also so-called para-crusaders, milites ad terminum, and these were uh, people who signed up not for a single crusade, but not for life either. Right. They had a limited term uh, of military service in the Holy Land. And then, of course, as most people are aware, um, there were these military orders. The Templars, the Hospitallers, and the Teutonic Knights are the most famous, but there were many, many more, um, who um, merged the two institutions of warrior on the one hand and monk on the other. Right? And um, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, as the series of lectures unfolds. Now, these uh, crusades were fought primarily against a range of Muslim powers in the region, not surprisingly. Although during the Fourth Crusade, infamously, Latin Christians took a detour to Byzantium and sacked the city and, in fact, uh, ousted the Orthodox Christians who had been Greeks who had been running the show there and created a Latin uh, kingdom um, in Byzantium. It didn't last very long. But the point I'm trying to make here is, although the Muslims were the primary targets, uh, often there were targets of opportunity as well, as we see in the Fourth, fourth Crusade. And of course, the Crusades often involved 
violence against Jewish populations, both in the Holy Land and often along the Crusade route. That is an enduring kind of leitmotif uh, uh, in Western history and certainly manifested itself in the Crusades as well. I will say though, parenthetically, that the church often tried to stop these anti-Jewish pogroms, um, but the popular forces that were unleashed by the uh, by the Crusades uh, overwhelmed the authority of the church authorities um, with, with terrible consequences. Now, although the idea of launching additional expeditions to liberate Jerusalem persisted for centuries, well into the 1500s, the Crusades to the Holy Land effectively came to an end with the fall of the last Christian stronghold in Palestine, as they would have called it, uh, or Syria, Accra, in the year 1291. So the Crusades to the Holy Land spanned the centuries and the years between 1095 on the one hand and 1291 on the other. Now, as I indicated at the outset, uh, the Crusades to the Holy Land were the iconic Crusades. They were the model for all the other Crusades, but there were Crusades on the periphery and indeed within Latin Christendom and not just the Holy Land. The Iberian Crusades, for example, were a series of military campaigns launched by the church to liberate Christians from Muslim rule in what are now Spain and Portugal. Um, and while undertaken against the backdrop of the Reconquista, which is the reconquest by the Spanish and Portuguese kingdoms of territory which had been conquered by Muslims uh, in centuries before, uh, the Crusades were neither reducible to that Reconquista, which was fought by secular authorities and for political purposes, nor synonymous with this much broader and more complex geopolitical phenomenon. Although it came to be seen as a sanctified enterprise, the Reconquista was in large measure a political process of conquest, conversion, and colonization that unfolded over several centuries. The Iberian Crusades, on the other hand, were a series of discrete, papally authorized, which is what made them Crusades, religiously motivated military campaigns that punctuated that centuries-long pro uh, process of Reconquista. And the Reconquista was not, in other words, an eternal or perpetual crusade as it is sometimes represented. Um, and that is, as we will see momentarily, that is not the case in the Baltic region, where in fact crusading was eternal and perpetual, but not so much in Iberia. Now, to be sure, these two phenomena, the Reconquista and the Iberian Crusades, clearly had an, a reciprocal influence on one another. Uh, just as clearly, however, and I do want to underscore this, they remain distinct expressions of a particular kind, of particular kinds of medieval war, one political and one religious. Now, unlike the Crusades in the Holy Land, Iberia, which were understood to be elements of the church's eschatological, if you like, struggle against Islam, right? Uh, a struggle to the end of time with the eternal foe, uh, Islam. Uh, the Northern Crusades did not involve Muslims at all. They were characterized, they have been characterized in the literature, convincingly, I think, as indirect missionary wars launched by the church to create the conditions necessary for evangelizing the pagan uh, inhabitants of the Baltic states, what we would now call the Baltic states. Now, as with their Iberian counterparts, these crusades were part of a broader phenomenon of territorial conquest and colonization. Uh, in this case, uh, the medieval German Ostseidlung, or settlement of the East. 
But again, as with Iberia, they were not reducible to that political colonizing uh, expansionist uh, agenda. They were connected to it, but not reducible to it. And in this case, as I indicated earlier, there was a dimension of perpetual crusade that was not found in Spain. Having said that, though, the Northern Crusades were nevertheless discrete campaigns punctuating about a three centuries long process of conquest and colonization that Germanized and Christianized the Baltic region. And we can identify um, sort of five phases to this historical process. The Wendish Crusades, which went from 1147 to 1185. The Livonian and Estonian Crusades, 1198 to 1290. The Prussian Crusades, 1230 to 1283. The Lithuanian Crusades, 1280 to 1435, and the Novgorod campaigns from the year 1243 well into the 15th century. Now, while authorized and fought on behalf of the church, these wars were prosecuted by Danish, Saxon, and Swedish princes, as well as by the military orders such as the Sword Brothers, whom many people have never heard about, and the Teutonic Knights, whom everybody has heard about. They were fought primarily against a range of pagan, non-Christian adversaries, so no Muslims, no Christians on the other side of this divide. Uh, and these peoples went by the names of Wends, Livonians, Estonians, Lithuanians, Suomi, and Prussians. And many of these titles, I think all of them with the exception of the Wends, um, are still used in various contexts today to refer to those peoples. Although some of these crusades were waged against Russian Christian schismatics. So these were Russians, ethnically Russians, who were adherents to the Greek Orthodox Church, not the Roman, the Latin Roman Catholic Church. Now, by the early 16th century, these ecclesiastical or church wars, always only one element of a broader process of the expansion of medieval Europe, Medieval Europe, Latin Christendom, was on the march metaphorically and literally for many centuries. And they had contributed significantly to the extension of the northeastern frontier of Latin Christendom and the transformation of the Baltic Sea from a pagan mare incognita, an unknown sea, into a Latin Christian lake. Now, the final expression or form of religious war uh, was not directed outward against Muslims or pagans, but inward against Christians within Latin Christendom. These were the so-called internal crusades, and they came in two flavors. The first involved church-organized war against schismatics and heretics, most famously the Cathars in southern France, the Hussites, and the Valdensians in Central Europe. These heterodox religious movements were seen as a threat to Christendom, a threat as the medieval chronicler and uh, canon law jurist, Hostiensis put it, uh, to the Catholic unity, which was in fact more dangerous than the threat posed by Muslims in the Holy Land. So it's one thing, according to people like Hostiensis, to fight a crusade against an external, obviously non-Christian power on the, on the margins, geographically, if not spiritually, of Christendom. And it was another thing to be fighting against people who might destroy Christendom from within by spreading uh, what the church considered to be heretical beliefs. And this type of crusade was thus seen as a defensive war 
against those who threaten the church's spiritual authority. I want to underscore that all of these crusades were characterized in the, by the Latin Christians as just wars, as St. Augustine would have defined them, um, and as, as, as Thomas Aquinas subsequently defined them as well. Um, and they were understood, therefore, to be defensive wars against Muslim aggression in the Holy Land and against uh, the uh, pagan aggression, which took the format of not of killing evangelists who entered the pagan lands. Um, and of course, the protection of the church against these unorthodox, heterodox, heretical um, movements within Europe. So they're always framed as defensive wars. Now, the second type of internal crusade involved wars launched by the papacy against temporal powers, political powers, it believed threatened the church's political authority. So they, these, these crusades come in two flavors. One is focused on uh, spiritual or religious threats, and the other one is focused on political threats to the church's and especially the Pope's authority. Examples of this latter type include Pope Innocent II's 1135 crusade against the South Italian Normans, as he put it in his bull, um, for the liberation of the church. And Pope Innocent III's 1199 crusade against Marquard of Pontweiler, who uh, the Pope charged at least, was impeding the Fourth Crusade. So he wasn't uh, with the Pope program, as it were. Now, as noted Crusades historian Riley Smith notes, these internal crusades were always framed as being necessary for the defense of the Catholic faith and or the liberty of the Catholic Church as an institution. Now, reflecting the very different political conditions encountered in these distinct geographical and cultural contexts, each of these types of religious war developed its own distinctive character. If you were uh, a professional crusader and you spent some time in the Holy Land, some time in Iberia, some time in the south of France uh, against the Cathars, and some time in the Baltic region, you would know two things. You were engaged in a crusade, and the crusade looked very different in each of these settings. So there were some commonalities. There's a common legal framework. Uh, the Pope had to declare all of these, uh, otherwise they were not considered to be crusades. And they had a common political military infrastructure, including the, the military religious orders. And they had a common moral purpose, the defense of the church and Christendom and or the redress of historical injustices. 